Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As I was, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum, and we are doing a round two recap today. Uh, we still have one series to finish up game seven uh, tonight, and that is the Dallas Stars and Seattle Kraken. So we'll definitely talk about that series, um, but and also just kind of preview the game seven that is going to take place uh, today at 8 p.m. Uh, it's about 5 p.m. as we're recording, and I'm hoping to have this out before the game starts. So um, obviously, by the time most people listen to this, they'll know the result or we'll be watching that game. Um, but we did have had three other series wrap up since we last recorded on Wednesday night. And the first of the three were the Devil's Hurricanes. Um, do we want to talk about this one first, just because it was chronological, and then we'll get into the big one maybe in the middle? Uh, Devils Hurricanes. Oh, so what... did, did, did something else big happen beyond the Devils Hurricane <laughs> series? I don't know. There's something that some people on this podcast might have a couple takes on, but I'm not really sure. Um, Devils Hurricanes. There's not going to be much to talk about. We had kind of talked the last time we had recorded before. Uh, the Hurricanes were up three to one in the series, and we had said it kind of feels like it could end uh, in Game Five, and it did. In in overtime, the Devils put up a good fight, but um, just generally speaking. Uh, the goaltending kind of ran out for New Jersey at, at the exact wrong time. You know, that that uh, obviously they only let up three goals on Thursday, but that was the big talking point of the series. And and that didn't really change from games four to five. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. It's pretty sad the way they went out. I mean, they didn't score a ton, at least at even strength either. So it's not like I feel super bad for them, although part of that's skewed by Igor and everything. But yeah, it blows to see a team just get absolutely fucking submarine by goaltending, especially one filled with good skaters. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it in a second for sure. But yeah, you're not going to win too many series when you score two or one goal in three of the games, two goals in another, and then explode for eight in the sole game that you win. Like they're. Yeah. It's funny because their goals per game over the series doesn't actually look that bad (laughs) until you realize that, yeah, eight of the, what I just named out, eight of the 15 goals literally came in one, over half their goals came in one game. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Just bad timing for them. Fucking good for Carolina, though. Absolutely rolling. Yeah. Just, and it looks like they're going to get Tara Vinen back this, uh, this series, which is kind of crazy. We, did they, everyone had thought, including Tara Vinen himself, had thought that the, uh, was going to be out for the year, but Tara Vine had a quote today of that uh, the doctors have done a great job and he's feel, and he, he broke his hand for those who don't remember in the round one, um, but that he's already in a no contact Jersey. And it kind of sounds like it's a full on conclusion, even if it's not game one or two uh, of the Eastern conference final, he will be back at some point. So that's a, that's a big gain as well. Even if he's maybe not a hundred percent, you got to assume that him over there, 14th best forward if he is at 90% or whatever is a, a little bit of a boost but Carolina's just kept rolling man like they they just have not stopped and they they look real good and they absolutely do and like not slowed down at all by the devils who I mean given Carolina's injuries I know there's some slightly different like stylistic tendencies and everything. The devil just kind of seemed like the hurricanes on steroids when the hurricanes are this injured and yet they just fucking roll them anyways. Yeah. I, the, we'll, we'll be doing the two conference final previews on uh, our Thursday podcast, just because obviously we don't know the West. Um, But I'm going to be very curious because I, I feel like you talk about teams that are similar to the canes. The Panthers remind me of that a lot too. And just like, I, I feel like the Devils maybe don't have quite as ferocious of a forecheck. They have a ton of yeah, skill. Yeah, and... forechecking team for sure. Yeah, and the Devils and, aren't. Yeah, yeah and, and that's why, like, 
in this series, I think you kind of saw that Devils offense get shut down outside of Jack Hughes, who looked amazing and kind of looked like he was just wheeling the team on his back sometimes, really. But um, yeah, it's um, I, I mean, like, let's be honest. I, I think, you know, you I think you got to be still pretty encouraged if you're a Devils fan. This was a team that just a year ago was finished second last or last in their own conference, you know, or in their own division. Sorry. Um so to go from that to having over a hundred point season, their first one in a number of years. And, you know, I think they, was it, they either set a franchise record this year for points or, or got real close to it. Like that's a very successful season and they won around two. It's not like this is around one thing. So definitely something where you got to keep finding ways to improve your team. But um, I, I would be absolutely shocked if you, if anyone came out of this year looking at this as anything but a major success. 100% like oh, I forget the exact number but their their preseason line was like 79 and a half points I'm pretty sure and they would have been like, over that by like January <laughs> like <laughs> yeah exactly like they roll and then again we've, we've talked about this with like some teams but like the the senators and the devils got it in spades as well we're like the value created by New Jersey was in the highest leverage situations. Like it's not like a couple of aging veterans kind of popped off for New Jersey. And that's what pushed them over the edge, right? Jack Hughes becomes a decent bet for third best player in the league. Uh, Brat goes ham. Hishay breaks out. Like all of the players they needed to do well, did well. Uh, Luke Hughes plays heavy minutes in the elimination game. Looks good early. Like the, the most important devils were the best devils for the most part. And that is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're they're going to have a pretty busy off season too. Like they definitely have some decisions to make. Um, Timo Meyer is obviously going to be the biggest one that needs a contract. He's an RFA this year. And Jesper Brad as well, who um, I think at the time when he signed that deal, everyone kind of went, why would you not go eight years with this guy? Especially because it sounded like it was like a million dollars off and Brad followed it up again. So he's probably going to cost even more than what he would have if they would have just signed him a year or two ago, but um, those guys will definitely be getting big pay raises. Um, they do have Tatar's $4.5 million coming off the books. Uh, if he did to re if he were to resign with uh, New Jersey, I think it would be at a much cheaper ticket. Um, and I, he yeah. kind of feels like someone who go test the uh, UFA waters anyways. Uh, Miles Wood. The well, they both struggle in the playoffs, but like Tatar specifically, like it's screwed because of that too. Yeah, exactly. Miles Wood, $3.2 million coming off the books as well. Again, if he's to resign, I, I'd be a little surprised if he's getting that um, to come back. Eric Halla, $2.375 million off the books. And then Sharon Govich is an RFA. Michael McLeod's an RFA. Uh, so they definitely have some decisions to make. And then on the back end, Damian Severson's 4.16 and Ryan Graves' 3.16 are both off as well. Now they will room for Hughes and Nemec, so... That's the thing is they got to make decisions on a couple of these guys. I think Severson's probably gone because that right side of the decor is so full already. If you're um, going to be protecting one right-handed defenseman with easy offensive minutes and you have Simon Nemec in your system, you better not use that role for Damon Severson. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Graves. I don't know. I could see that going. That's another one will probably depend on what he wants to do. This feels like his best chance to really quote-unquote cash out in the ufa market especially with i'm pretty sure don't quote me on this but like i'm like 95 percent sure i remember this ufa market just being crap this year too 
I know the I know the forwards is it, and the defense is usually always worse than the forwards, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. They, they're definitely there's going to be room to change up the roster a little bit, and then obviously goaltending. They have Vanacek signed at three point four. I would assume they probably after what they saw from Schmidt this year go with a Vanacek Schmidt combo, but. I think it'd be more than fair to ask if that's really the combo you feel comfortable getting yourself over the hump going forward. Um, but Mackenzie Blackwood feels like a pretty good guy not to get qualified, if you uh, ask me. Yeah, I'd be pretty floored if they want to re-up that, uh, that contract. But yeah, luckily but, they're not, they don't have like, their goaltending suck, but it's not like they have resources really committed to it. So they can do something. No, exactly. And like, yeah, they'll probably run it back for another year and, if it doesn't work. And and I think that, you know, that maybe they are comfortable because maybe they see Schmidt being the guy who takes another step forward, you know, um, he's worth a shot at least. Exactly. And that that doesn't work out, they can move on, but yeah, Luke Hughes, Simon Nemec should be on this team next year. Uh, Alexander Holtz is going to be another option for pr- replacing one of those wingers. Um, so they won't have to pay them, which will be nice, but um, um, yeah, I, this is going to be a team that especially, you know, how much we've talked about the Penguins and the Capitals taking a step back and the Islanders just naturally feel always due for some age regression. This feels like a team that should be competing with Carolina for the next cut. And maybe if you want to throw the Rangers in there because of Shesterkin as well, it feels like those three teams should be running the top of the Metro for a couple of years here. Yeah, exactly. And given the age of all their best players, like this is the best cap sheet in the league. Yep. Oh yeah. Like this is by a significant margin. Yeah. Every once in a while we do our top five teams you'd most want to take over. And like there can't be many teams better than this, to be honest. Like this is one by a mile, I think. That huge yeah. contract is that, so Hughes is so good. good. Yeah. And the fact I, they have multiple blue chip prospects and a great young NHL roster is just stupid. I was going to say, like, the only other ones I think you could argue is Chicago, I guess, now with the Bedard pick. Um, L.A., if you still really like their system. And even, but none of those guys have a guy. Like, if Bedard is as good as Hughes, like, I don't even, like, I feel like people are just assuming that's going to be true, but that would still be probably in the upper half of possibilities for him, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we had. And, you know, models can get into some trouble with, like, the aggressive right skew of uh, hockey talent. Like, models are going to underestimate how good Crosby and McDavid actually were because, you know, models based on averages just don't predict that shit. We had Bedard's most likely outcome as, like, a little over a point-per-game player um, era adjusted, which is, like, a 90-point player's most likely outcome, which is really, really good, but that's, like, you know, yeah, it's pretty crazy for a most likely outcome, but there still is just an outcome where, yeah, like it's so weird. That's how hyped of a prospect that he's. That I'm saying, if that's all he is, like yeah. Hughes still could be better than that, right? Which is again, that just speaks to how insane Bedard is. But that yeah. also shows just yeah, like New Jersey's got, most likely outcome is worse than Hughes, even though yeah. he has the upside to be better, obviously. Yeah. And yeah, New Jersey still has obviously the young talent. They have the prospects still coming as well to to give them that second wave and try and get them over the hump. So um, no, I, I don't think you can be super disappointed at all if you're a Devils fan about this season. I think it'd be almost impossible. You know, may, maybe the only part you go where you kind of go, oh, shoot, is again, you look at the teams remaining and go, whew, we had a really good shot this year if we could have got past Carolina, but um, they're going to be a good team every year. So I think, you know, 
it's one of those things where I would be hard pressed to find too many people complaining. I think about it. Yeah. And I know like their fans are pissed at Brat and stuff like that, but it's one of those scenarios where if you can take a sober view from the outside, which we have the benefit to, it's, yeah, if you want to run Brad out of town, I'll take them kind of thing. And if other teams fans are lining up for your players and that's what you think the worst thing happened to you is you're pretty, you're pretty all right. Mitch Marner for Jesper Brat trade anyone. <laughs> all right, let's get into this. The next series, um, and again, we'll talk about more about Carolina on, uh, we'll be recording Wednesday for our Thursday podcast as well um, to preview that series in its fullest. Uh, details haven't been released. It feels weird that on Monday, you know, they're, it, so there almost certainly will not be a game on Tuesday because there's no way they would not announce that, right? So um, I'm assuming either Wednesday, maybe even a Thursday start is when the, the third round is going to start, depending on how many days they want to give everyone off. Um, but it feels like it makes the most sense that the East is going to start first because both those games wrapped up in five, um, which brings us to our other series, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They win game four, avoid the sleep, uh, the sweep battle back, get it to overtime and then lose an overtime game three to two. Um, we'll, we'll talk about Toronto and where they go in a second. Um, the series itself. So again, the last time we had recorded, they were down three, nothing. Well, actually they hadn't played since they were down three, nothing. And we had talked about that one. Um, they played the game they kind of needed, just a nothing game on, on the Wednesday night where they win 2-1 in a in a game where just like nothing happened really, like yeah. on either end of things. And then Friday night they have uh they battle back, tie the game. Uh they had a disallowed goal in the second that uh a tough call. Like I, you know, I I hate the intent to blow the whistle rule. I, I really dislike it. I don't give a shit when the ref's intent was. If he didn't do it, he fucked up, you know, like, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like I saw people posting frame zero, like just the most zoomed in frame to try and prove that the puck was half a millimeter over the line or whatever. I, I if the call on the ice is no goal and they don't have the stuff to overturn it, that's fine. In my opinion, I just yeah, hate that's the problem is the definitive proof thing, right? It's calling yeah. the ice becomes so important then. And I, I do think it brings up a valid point of in the year 2023, why do we not have put sensors in the pucks? Like yeah. that feels like an easy enough technology to install for a multi-billion dollar league. Yeah, it's pretty stupid. It would be so easy to do. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they put it in the puck, but people complained about it, correct? Yeah, they have People were complaining about the pucks and then also like even I think though it's a there was some that you'd never feel accuracy questions as well. Maybe I'm not really sure. Like it, it feels like it's not as high of a priority as it probably again should be, even if the technology be. is a year away. It feels like something you should be trying to develop so you can avoid massive controversies like this. Yep. Um, but yeah, at least end up losing in overtime. I didn't get to watch any of the overtime. I I was well, I watched most of the game, but then had to turn it off and didn't find out until 6 a.m. the next morning that they lost. Uh, and I thought Toronto this Toronto played well enough, and especially even heading into that overtime that I had texted you, quote, they lost question mark with two question marks at the end because um Toronto com- controlled the play for the last five, 10 minutes of that game from as far as I could tell. And I, I just kind of thought they would hopefully carry that over and I wanted to see a sixth game, but uh it didn't happen. And I I think and correct me if I'm wrong here, you know, my kind of take on this is, and you know, what I've seen people point out and fairly enough is that Toronto probably didn't 
deserve to lose this series four to one. I'm not saying they deserve to win the series necessarily, but if you look at it, game one, I think they outplayed Florida, but it was close enough where you could probably call that a coin toss, right? Yep. Game two, they absolutely dominate Florida, but it's two massive mistakes that cost them. You play that game nine times over out of 10, Toronto probably wins. It probably should be, even let's say Florida wins the first coin toss, it's 1-1. Florida dummies game three, the Leafs don't deserve to win that one at all. Let's go Florida 2-1. Um, I would say game four is a bit of a coin toss as well. Let's give the Leafs the second coin toss, 2-2. And then that game five, um, I thought Toronto was the better team. I Again, I don't think it was like, so aggressive where it's like, how the hell did they lose that game? But I thought they were the better team. So there's a third coin toss where you've now kind of outplayed them again. Um, Could have been three, two, either way. It wasn't the thing that I have an issue with people going and we'll get about, we'll talk about running it back in a second or whatever. People are using that as excuses, like not blame the team or whatever. It's like, well, okay, well, if we want to use that excuse, we got to go back and do that for the Tampa series too. In which I would argue, you know, they earn those wins. But they were also lucky in some of those games too. Like oh, how, often do you see, how often do you see Tampa drop a four-one lead or something like that? Right? Like so, you can't be like, well, we can't make any changes because they deserve to have better in round two. But then go, but completely ignore game round one where they were outplayed in four of the six games as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's the difference, right? I know people hate to acknowledge it, but the Leafs were luckier Tampa Bay than Tampa Bay in round one. Therefore, mm-hmm. they won the series, and they were less lucky than Florida in round two. Therefore, they lost the series. That that sucks. Uh, it is what it is, though. Like you can, people dislike to acknowledge that in hockey. They like to pretend that everything's fair, which is part of human psychology. But like things aren't fair. That shit just kind of happens, whether we like it or not. And you kind of just have to acknowledge that to ever honestly evaluate the sport. It's funny because a lot of people do kind of acknowledge it, but then completely throw it out the window when they come to the analyzing of things, you know, like you can yeah. say like people fundamentally do understand that. It's like, oh yeah, what can you do? A goalie got hot for a couple games or whatever. And then you go, yeah, that's what happened here. They go, no, no, no. The Leafs just didn't want it enough. It's like, well, no, that's not how that works. Yeah. It's so well, and yeah, and I think speaking of the Jesper Brad thing, like I think people understand it when it doesn't have to do with their team, but they mm-hmm. have so much more information about the team. They warp themselves. They basically overthink it because you have so much more information in there. and emotion doesn't help for obvious reasons either. Right. And then there you go. Yeah. Now fandom you makes you throw logic out the window sometimes, you know, it's as yeah. simple as that. And um, part of the funds, part of the curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I don't know. As uh, when it comes to the actual games, I don't have a ton more of a take than I did over the past two. Again, like I thought they played fine. I thought they played pretty good in games one and two. Um, you know, so they pretty it, objectively did. Yeah, like, like uh, game two, and, and like again, if you like they dominate game two and they probably shouldn't have lost even with the mistakes. But I I do kind of understand of like why it would be frustrating to a fan of, because as much as we said, they got lucky against Tampa and they did, they absolutely did. I I also understand the take of like, you got to create your own luck sometimes, right? Like you got to be there to at least force the turnover and make the, make them make the stupid mistake. And Florida did that to Toronto twice in two minutes where it's like, yeah, like we could probably just cut that crap out of our game and we it would have been a one-nothing game, you know? Like, and maybe it's yeah. not that simple or whatever, but like, yeah, when the margins are gonna be this tight, you gotta take the massive mistakes out, which is 
why it's unfortunate, but um, it kind of sounds like Matthews was dealing with a, a wrist injury as well. So screenshots going around and not on the surgery, the wrist he had surgery on, which uh, yeah, different wrist, tough, definitely tough news. Um, I guess you like, yeah, like, do you have any other take on game four? Five? I, I thought, you know, yeah, they're pretty unlucky. Probably come out down four one out of those five games, but that's kind of sometimes what the playoffs are. You know, was there any, Anything that I meant, like, did you have any big takes on game four or five? In terms of just the on ice, no, not really. Like, I think they were pretty close to coin flip games. Tim, for being honest about it, like, I don't think any team's like expected win percentage was more than a full win above break even in that series, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's just kind of, you know, maybe, maybe. The only take I have, and it's even more just going forward, is I thought Joseph Wall in those two games alone proved that they should probably be pretty comfortable with him being their He's backup option next year. Make him um, less than league men. Now, one thing that, and I don't think they'll ever learn this lesson, but we have talked about this a million times, um, variance sucks and is unavoidable. But there are certain ways in which you can invite variance into your life. And when you're a good team, you don't want to invite variance into your life. For example, if you decide to have a bottom six that can't score, mm-hmm. you're very susceptible to scoring droughts in your top six. So Does yeah. that sound like a problem? <laughs> this is the biggest thing I wanted to get to about this series. And, and again, like... No, we can't go back and what we said. I, I thought Dubas had a good deadline. I, I liked the Ryan O'Reilly pickup. I didn't think he was particularly great in this series. I think the no, the Panthers he speed good against Tampa, but not yep, here. yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, like when you build a team where you want nothing to happen when your bottom six is on the ice, assuming that your top six is going to win, you need your top six to win the matchups and. You know, whether it's they got outplayed, which is a bigger issue, or they got unlucky, um, which I think at times it was a bit of both. I, I think objectively, I mean, yep. like people, again, we're going to talk about it, what the takes are me this summer. I don't know how you can come out of that series thinking anything, but oh my God, if there's one player the least need to keep, it's William Nylander. For the yeah, fourth time in seven years, he was like the only forward that consistently showed up. Yeah, he's just he's a zone entry machine, right? Every time he touches the puck, good things happen yeah. consistently because he's better than almost everyone else when he touches it. And it's so obvious. And it's the stupidest shit in the world that he's a controversial player because he's so like who William Nylander is is so goddamn obvious. It's not even funny. And the fact that people don't understand that he's a flawed defensive player, but he's so good in transition and offensively and with the puck and all that to make up for like the the evaluation on him. You don't have to be a scout to get it picture perfect for a scout. What a scout would say. It's so clear. Exactly. Um, But yeah, like when you go seven straight games, which is what the Leafs have done now, not scoring more than two goals, you're just not going to win a lot of those games. And in might be luck that you didn't score, but you're still fucked. Exactly. In game five against Tampa, they lost four, two in game six. They, Gritted out a 2-1 win. That's great. Well, then they followed it up with, what was it, a two-goal performance, a two-goal performance, a one-goal performance. Like, you're just, you you can't win that way routinely. Yeah, they lose 4-2, they lose 3-2, they lose 3-2. And again, some of those are going to be bounces as well. It's not like they were getting blown out 8-2 when they were losing or anything. But 
they need, especially their team, the way they're built, they needed just an offensive explosion where they went and won five to two on Friday night or whatever to get them back yep. into things. Um, and it, it just, it didn't happen, but yeah, like, I think you can definitely look for, you know, and if there's, it's weird because the, the people who criticize Dubis literally cannot criticize for the way they built the team because they spent 14 years going, Oh, this team's too soft with too much speed and skill. We don't like that. Yeah. And they went the opposite way. They built the bottom six that, you know, was quote unquote tough and gritty and, and defensively responsible. Oh, and, yeah. and yeah, they didn't, they couldn't score. And again, like I, you mentioned this, I think it was two podcasts ago now, but like, it's nice when guys like Sam Lafferty and Noel Chari have good games, but the problem is when those are the two guys having the good games, your ability to score, even with them having the good game, goes so much farther down than if it's your high-end talent doing it, right? And so yep. it's like, it's it's not even like, like, I thought Sam Lafferty played great this series. Same with Noel Chari. I thought they were the two, most, that series. two most noticeable, oh, maybe not most noticeable, but up there with two of the most noticeable forwards the least had. But again, that's not good enough. Not even close. Yeah, like Nylander was more of those two guys. But the fact that th- like those are the next names you're saying is is not okay. You're never going to win gross. like that. Kelly Yarn, like, did he play in the series? I know he's only making $2.1 million. I don't think I noticed him <laughs> once. John he definitely too. did play, and he played I, in the top six consistently. Tavares looked cooked. I have never seen a guy look more invisible on both ends of the ice. It's not like he looked bad defensively or anything, but like I've never seen a guy who makes $11 million look that invisible. Yeah, just a complete ghost. They had one play where he drove to the net super hard and it was beautiful. And I was like, oh, that looks like vintage John Taveras. And then it literally didn't happen again. It's like, oh, awesome. Yeah. And like, I don't know. And and again, when Morgan Riley and Luke Shen is legitimately your best pair at five on five, I, I'm going to be very curious. I haven't seen anything yet, but I, I'm going to be very curious to see what TJ Brody, if he's injured or not, that was the, even in the Tampa yeah. series, I thought he looked like crap. And that is, um, he has been, in my opinion, the most stable Leafs defenseman since he got to the team two or three years ago. Oh yeah. I think he's a, second in defensive war over the past few years. Yeah, and like... Like, specifically on defense, not among defensemen, but yeah. Him and Jake McCabe were supposed to be their shutdown pair, and they looked like crap. Yeah, McCabe got rocked for, like, consistently. That's a new Justin Hole, I bet. (laughs) He's looked thus far. I... Yeah, they and they they didn't play Lilligren near enough. Mark Giordano looked 39 at times. You know, I didn't think he was the issue or anything like that, but um, he looked pretty meh, which he is making the league, man, meh is actually fine, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, like um, I didn't, their goaltending wasn't an issue per se by any means, but they just, obviously Bob stole the show this this series. Um, So, you know, it goes, where do you go from here? And this is where things get really interesting. I think I would be shocked if Sheldon Keefe is back behind the bench at this point. Like that has been the most unanimous thing I think I've ever seen people agree on. And he's not doing himself any favors either. Like it's, it's crazy uh, that somebody, he has like one of the best winning percentage of all time. And I think he's been out. Highest for the Leafs, like top five, top five ever in the regular season for people with like 300 plus games coach. 
Yep. And I think he's been out coached every single time he's ever stepped into a playoff series. Yep. Um, and like his quote again, like when I talk about not helping himself out, his quote today, I thought we went into the Florida series a little too guarded. We didn't go out and attack it. Ryan Lambert quotes he's that with the perfect thing. Whoever's job it is to prepare for this kind of thing really screwed up then. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, exactly. the amount of times. And like I get it. Sometimes at some point it's got to fall on the play, players too, excuse me. But like the amount of times Keith came out and went like, oh yeah, we just didn't start ready or or we didn't play the full 60 minutes. Like that's your damn job as a coach to make sure that your your guys are ready. Like Yeah, didn't start on time. Back to the Babcock days. Literally, it's like what are you getting paid for? It's just because if it's just to press shuffle on all the lines and tap random shoulders, which it seems to be, I can do that. Pay me eight hundred k. I'll go do that. I'll be a pay cut for MLSE. Exactly. Like, yeah. So I, I don't know. To me, that seems like the most obvious move. Um, <laughs> apparently, Dubis just looked gutted in his presser today and like talked about how it's either going to be Toronto or he's taking time off. So kind of putting the rumors of like Pittsburgh might want them or um, you know, other teams might want them going to bed, at least for this season. Um, I tend to think if he wants it, he will be back as the Toronto Maple Leafs GM. And I, I think you can make a very good argument. He deserves it. Yeah. Given how. Cause like, so, okay. Here's the thing to me is even if like, let's say you and I disagree with maybe how the bottom six was built this year or whatever. He's tried it. You can't say everything. he's just yeah, like, he's tried everything. He tried the speed and skill thing. It didn't work. Maybe if you wanted to argue that he should have tried that a little more. And again, you got the bad end of variance or whatever. I wouldn't have hated that, but I also understand not just doing the same thing six times in a row and going, Oh, I don't know what happened. Like, and then, so he tried grit and you know, the, the Nick Felino stuff and that backfired hideously so it's he turns around he goes for a mix of both and again like they got passed around that's great but they didn't obviously make even an eastern conference final which i think was probably the bar especially after you got past your your tampa there but um i i think the biggest thing for me with dubis is it's clear that he doesn't he's not just going to keep one approach and go after it time and time and time again like he's a very smart guy in terms of trying to change things up and also understanding the bigger picture but what I want to know, or what I'm curious to see, is how much organizational change there needs to be to make people internally and externally happy. And if that comes from management or if it is uh, a player role, which we're going to get into as well. Yeah. Externally, nobody's going to be happy no matter what. Yeah. Like, honestly, the thing that would make fans happiest right now is making the team significantly worse, which you're in charge to not be as. Uh, We'll say emotional as fans. Yeah. <laughs> when analyzing that kind of stuff. But like honestly, just making the team dog shit would make a whole bunch of people really happy right now. And yeah, again, you're in charge to to not let pure emotion guide your decisions. So like you're just not under any realistic timeline making externally people happy, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. And like this is this is where things get really interesting because um, you look at it this summer and on one hand, I don't know how you can possibly justify running it back with the exact same core. Like I, I even acknowledging yeah. variants and everything like that, 
I just don't know how you could sell. Yeah, we're running it back with the same core, let's say five, the big four and Morgan Riley is basically kind of what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. But I also just have a hard time seeing where the change comes from. Because as we mentioned, you're not winning a William Elander trade. You're not winning a Marner trade. You're probably not winning a Mitch Marner trade. You're not winning a Matthews trade. You're definitely not winning a Matthews trade. You're I winning don't a Tavares trade, but trade you can trade us. Yep. Yeah. And same with Morgan Riley. And honestly, given like how good Morgan Riley's been in the playoffs, like he was an $8 million man in the playoffs. He was more than that. Easily. He's a $10 million playoff player without blinking yeah. this year. So... I just don't know where the change comes and from. He, and he, speaking of Nylander, though, giving Nylander credit, Riley has been every single time he's been asked to as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, like, well, Morgan Riley has been great in the playoffs for this team. Um, yep. Now, so, I, I, and so here's the thing. It's like the thing that's been brought up a ton, and, and I mentioned it too in my article, is, well, you look at the team that just beat them. They lost in the round two last year after finally getting over the hump. They went all in last year. And they went, you know what? Enough's enough. They traded Jonathan Huberdeau, the face of their franchise. No one ever thought they'd move him, trade him for Matthew Kachuk. And there's been a lot of people that say, oh, the Leafs need to do that with Marner, find their Kachuk trade. And that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. Because the problem is Marner out, is the Kachuk. Yes. If you are scenario. going out saying you have to trade Mitch Marner, he becomes Matthew Kachuk. He does not become Jonathan <laughs> Huberdeau. Yeah. Now, and he's the younger borderline exactly. MVP already player on his own like they don't play stylistically the same but their output is you know closer I to each think, other than like there's a middle ground too of like i so absolutely if there's no deal on the table that makes sense you can't just trade him for the sake of trading him right which is yep. you know basically what calgary had to do and again like i'll still defend that trade a little bit to calgary's i think they instead of just immediately signing the guys they probably should have waited and tried to flip them for more assets but the trade itself i thought was fine in a nutshell for calgary um yep. on toronto's given side, the constraints that chuck was leaving exactly he said he was leaving right on toronto's side of things i don't think you can't just make a trade for making a state that's how you that is how you lose trades yep. that being said is it unlikely that you win a trade shouldn't prevent you from looking for one, if that makes sense? And if oh, at the end of the day, fairly desperately. Exactly. And if at the end of the day, teams realize you're, you're a little too desperate and they're just not giving you what you want, then you walk away. But everyone goes, oh, well, because like that's the thing. It's like, oh, who would they even trade minor for? It's like, I don't know. But that's the point. I didn't know Matthew Kachuk was going to be available at this time last year. Yeah. No, well, and, that's. And, we can't Sorry. know that. Elliot Friedman knows that, but we don't. Like, exactly, right? GMs and like, are telling us who to dump, but they are telling Dubas. That's and, his job, right? Exactly. And like, I'm sure there are a couple teams where if you do float Mitch Marner out, whoever, and I don't want to say Jonathan Huberto specifically or whatever, but like their second best player might suddenly become available. And, you know, obviously you don't want to just do the Jonathan Huberto. Like, I'm not saying they should go trade for a 29-year-old who coming off a career year because... Again, like that trade from the outset, I think we said at the time, Jonathan Huberno is not a 110-point player. Matthew Kachuk is the 95-point player they're trading for. Um, But as you just said, like, I don't know. And and again, I'm just throwing random stuff out there. Maybe New Jersey goes, "Mm, yeah, we really didn't like Jesper Bratt's playoff performance. 
what kind of what would a swap there look like? And you pick up a guy in Jesper Bratt or whatever if he becomes available on a minor deal. Or I don't know, out west somewhere. Like what does I don't even know who would be a, a good option for that. Um probably not Minnesota. I don't know. Like, like Boldy was the first name that came to mind, but yeah. Yeah. I don't doesn't feel like they would. What if Seattle goes like, oh yeah, like we'll give you I don't know. Jared McCann, our yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a top prospect in a pick or something like that, or Yorkstrand and Tolvin. Maybe not Tolvin. That's probably not a good example. But I don't like. My point is, there's probably deals that become available once Marner's name gets floated out there. Again, if you say if they're only offering Borkstrand, Tolvin in a first, you don't take that. But if they go, we'll give you Bjorkstrand, McCann. Shane Wright and our first for Mitch Marner, which again, I don't think Seattle would offer that on the flip side of things, but if they do, maybe you look at Toronto and go, hmm, do we think about it? Now we're thinking, yeah. Yeah, because Marner will be able to get names that aren't otherwise available in the conversation because he is that good. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't know, I... I've kind of settled on the idea that like if you flip, if, if it's between Marner and Nylander... It, it'd be minor that I'd be looking to move out again. I just, I also completely understand the notion of you can't just go search to do that. Yeah. Um, well, that's the pro like real is another interesting team, but yeah, you Philo on like Byfield or something like that. Yeah. Byfield and like Arvidsson. Well, I'm, I don't know if they'd want to trade Arvidsson or Fiala, probably not Fiala, but like Byfield a first and Arvidsson second and done. I don't know if you'd love that if you're Toronto. Probably don't love it, but you're going to need a player like Byfield back the other way where they have the potential to be really fucking good. Like, hmm. that's probably the only way you're ever getting fair value. Yeah. And getting somebody who can pop and taking a risk. The only reason I'm like settled on kind of if someone's got to go, it's got to be Marner is, I don't know. Like, I, I know he put up a ton of points in round one. I didn't think he looked particularly amazing even still in round one he had the, the he was a big part of the comeback and you got to give him credit for that in uh, the the 4-1 comeback that is um but like he had what was it i think 12 11 points 12 points in the six games but like like that three of them came in that 7-3 drubbing that like they were all just points when it didn't matter um i want to say another couple of them came late in the seven nothing drubbing the other way or seven two drubbing or whatever like i don't know to me it's just the points don't tell the whole story with that and then you just want, like, he was invisible against Florida for the most part. He had the yeah. one goal in, was it game four or five from the point? Four. Four. And, like, yeah. fine, you know, good enough play, get the get the puck on net or whatever. But, like, I don't know. He's, he's one of them where it's, like, if you want to say his style is definitely more regular season based than playoffs, I wouldn't disagree. But thing is, I like, I still think he's got so much talent. Mm-hmm. He easily can be effective in the playoffs. The thing is, like, I would disagree, and that's obviously stupid, in my opinion, that it doesn't trend. Like, I don't know. Players like Marner do fine in the playoffs. Marner. Well, yes, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, his talent clearly can. (laughs) But I think there's also something about, like, Mitch Marner specifically needs to also adapt, like, a, a secondary part of his game, if you will, in terms of, like, if the middle of the ice is closed, you've got to find other ways to get be effective and move the puck towards the net, you know? Whereas, yeah. like, in this Florida series, they closed him down, kept him on the outside, and it was like, 
all right, I guess we'll just dump it in the possession changes or whatever. It's like, well, that's just not good enough. No. And, yeah. you know, and, and like, again, if this was the first year that happened, like if that happened this year, he finishes the playoffs with the 14 points in 11 games like he did. That's great, right? He had eight points in seven games last year. Not bad. That is very good last year. Then it's four assists in seven, four assists in five, four points in seven, uh, nine points in seven in the uh, first year against Boston, four points in six. Like, it's just, he's never been like horrid. Like, he's never had a zero point performance in the playoffs or whatever. But like, he's just had a couple years where it's been like, yeah, you'd want the odd goal out of him. And he just hasn't provided that. And that could purely be bad luck. And if you want to go all in on that, it's probably not. It, actually, in fact, I know it's not as bad of an idea as anyone would make it out to be. Um, yeah, it's been, he has played 50 career playoff games and he's, I mean, even if he was, yeah, and even if he was a little overrated, or that's Nylander, Marner has also played 50, I guess. Almost point per game. Um, statistically, he's been fairly good three of the times of the seven runs or whatever, like, for a 90-point player to only be a 78-point player over a 50-game sample is the most, like, yeah, no shit, that's not that out of the ordinary thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. Like, if it's... we didn't just arbitrarily pretend playoff games were more meaningful, even though there's probably less signal in playoff games because the skill edges are smaller, like, you would never think twice about a 95-point player putting up 47 points in the first 50 points of a playoff of an NHL regular season. No. Like... You wouldn't blink. You wouldn't even pretend to care. But we've arbitrarily decided the playoffs mean everything the regular season means nothing. So it's terrible. Which, like, that's just... And unfortunately for that, it, that's the facts, though. Like... Yeah. In yeah, terms of, like... Yeah, like at the end... make it, it like... A good no, way it doesn't mean he's an absolute bust or whatever, but like, yeah, yeah it I, just means we're more emotional when it happens to those 50 games, but yeah, it, does, sure. it doesn't actually make the 50 game sample more meaningful, even though we wish it did. But it just because you want something to be more meaningful doesn't mean it is, unfortunately. It's very like it's very arrogant of us, I think, as people to like pretend that they are more meaningful just because we decided they are. Like, yes and no. I mean, the one thing, is, like, and and everyone will tell you this just in terms, and like, it makes logical sense. You're never game planning for someone over an 82 game series or season, right? Just because, like, yeah. there's just so many freaking games, it's literally not possible. You would drive yourself mental. Obviously, like, if it's when the Leafs come in, everyone knows. Oh yeah, we should probably try and not give that Austin Matthews guy some space, right, and stuff like that. But it's like yeah. there's just a certain degree. Whereas where you have four or five full days off in between series. And you know, you're going to be playing this team nonstop for the next two weeks. There is going to be a little, probably I would imagine just more data analysis, more video analysis, but also just as you learn and play them four times in a row, figuring out how the hell to stop a guy. And again, I don't think that's probably the difference of Mitch Marner absolutely sucks in the playoffs versus being a hundred point player. But there probably is a little bit to be taken of like, well, yeah, once people seem to start game planning for this guy, he's been, I, I get like even, in, and, and this probably is a, do you this know why a, I think that's like not true though? You know who Marner's best 13 game consecutive stretch in his playoff career has been against? John Cooper. 
yeah, by a like, significant margin. Yeah. Like and the like, best coach Marner's ever played against in the playoffs is where his best results came by a huge margin. So like, did John Cooper not know how to game plan about Marner, but fucking Paul Maurice does? Well, and that's the thing. It's like, like, I'm not, I don't think Paul Maurice needs any credit here. He took a president's <laughs> trophy team and they barely made the playoffs. But what I mean more mean about it is just like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, Hey, I think this alone is a testament to how talented Marner is because it's like only being a 45 point player over 50 games or whatever, quote unquote, isn't enough failure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like, again, but he makes almost $11 million. You need him to do more than that, whether it's bad luck, purely bad luck, or if it's something that you can help change in his game, I'm not really sure if you want to say it's bad luck. I wouldn't completely disagree, but also this is a business and I will also, I'd be very interested to know what like MLSE board members think if they can keep a level head about it as well, or if it's, and I think this is probably where Toronto's better suited than any team that has just a singular person as an owner, you know, because it's, it is a board member and they're yeah. probably thinking about that a little more, but. Yeah. And they're probably in the goods because like Toronto makes money anyways, obviously board prefer to win to lose, but like. It's not like Toronto needs the gate revenue. Like, I think it's easier no. to be objective about the business that is the Toronto Maple Leafs than other things because your floor is still the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I genuinely don't know what to they think do. about because, yeah, like the Marna thing, no one knows. Like, everyone's yeah. lying to themselves well, if they think they know what's wrong with this team. And that's why I, I would say I've seen you tweet that as well. And I think that's the best way to put it is regardless of what you think this team should do. And and I think you can argue a lot of different ways oh, yeah, this yeah. team could approach stuff, right? Like as much as like, I think just dumping Marner is a very stupid idea. Yes, and I think the and most like, likely outcome is that he's just been unlucky, but I get it that you could make a very well-reasoned argument to why you should trade him. And there's a chance it's the correct thing to do for the team. Yep. And like, but and again, like anyone suggesting they should just, right? yeah, like anyone suggesting they should just cap dump him and they'd be better with his $12 million off the books is they're not thinking straight. They're, they're not thinking upset. at all. Yes. 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 They're probably a um, smart person who's just mad that their team keeps losing, which is fair enough. And and like that goes the other way too. Like if, if someone is so pissed off that they insist they have to run it back, it's like, no, you can't be that confident either way in this. Yeah. It's like no one knows. Yeah, no, no one knows. And compounding all of it, even if they go do the correct thing, they'll still might lose in the first round next year. They could do the completely wrong thing. And but let's Way say they come. did just absolutely, yeah, Captain up Marner for nothing. And Samsonov just suddenly, or whoever's in net at the time next year, just goes on a 940 bender for a month. And they're in the cup finals. It wouldn't be correct to come dump Marner for no assets. It yep. would just mean your goalie got hot finally. Hot at the right time. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I the easiest well and the thing it just won't happen. There's no way John Tavares is moving his no trade clause. Um I but that would be, I think, the easiest way to try and make big change, regardless. Um, I think the quote unquote easiest just becomes trying to find a minor deal, but again, you can't just do it for the sake of doing. You need to actually have a tangible benefit coming back, whether that's getting two second liners, a high-end prospect that, you know, gives you a wild card and a, an extra pick or something like that, 
or finding a guy where it can be close to one for one. I don't know who that would be. I have no idea. Um, Alex Debrinkit's a fun name. I don't want to think about. I, I'm okay with Debrinkit on the Sens, but like that's a name where that'd be one of the few guys. Maybe if you're Toronto, you look yep. at doing something right. Like, and that's a, go- a goal scoring pop, right? Like, yeah. Part of the reason, again, part of like the the intelligent conclusion you come to a trading Marner beyond just I'm mad is like Debrinkit's a huge shooter, and like that lowers your odds of you know, on a sustained PO run when it's like somebody who's just that good every time they touch the puck, whereas like a passer needs something else to go well. I don't know if that's true, but like you can at least talk yourself into it. That's why mm-hmm. we're saying like there's so many different ways you can go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I And I think Matt Murray's going to get bought out this off season. I would be absolutely shocked if that's not what happens. They, it's going to be another year of re uh, reshuffling some deck chairs though. Kerfoot, he's probably got his 3.5 is off the books. O'Reilly, it kind of sounded like he was going to test free agency. The only way he could be coming back, I think, anyways, if he takes what his AAV of 1.875 is now or less on the Spezza slash Geo deal. Uh, Camp is a UFA this year. Nola Chari is a UFA. Michael Bunting is obviously a UFA. Wayne Simmons is a UFA. Zach Aston Reese is a UFA. Uh, Luke Shen and Eric Gustafson, both UFAs, and Justin Hall as well. So, um, again, a lot of reshuffling probably. Uh, and then it'll just depend if they make a big move. Matt Murray, one more year at 4.6875. Let me read his buyout number because it is, it's kind of pushing the the cost down a year, but it's actually way more friendly than I thought it was going to be this year. Um, if they bought him out, it would be a 687K and a half K uh, cap hit for them this year. Three or 229K on Ottawa's cap. And then next year, Toronto get hit with 2 million. Ottawa would have 666. Oh, that's weird. So I would be, and it's because his base salary is more this year. He's got $8 million in base salary. Oh, okay. Um, I would be shocked if they don't trade, if they don't buy him out, unless someone is just willing to take him for like no money or no assets. Yeah. And maybe someone, maybe like Arizona needs to hit the floor or Chicago or someone, but probably not. Yeah. And just, Again, and like it, maybe it depends on the cost, of course. Like if it's only going to cost a fifth or whatever, maybe you do that to save yourself the cap space next year. But I think that just seems like, considering they're taking this one year at a time, that seems like the most obvious way out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then other than that, Matthews said all the right things at his presser today, which for most people in most NHL circumstances, I wouldn't even think twice about. Um, but he went out of his way to say he wants, he hopes a new deal is done before the start of next season. And that was the quote that really stuck out with me. Uh, he's obviously eligible for an extension on July 1st. So was William Nylander. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what that does. Um, the only, like, I don't know, there's, we kind of flushed that out, I think, pretty good. And I'm sure we will be talking about the Leafs a lot more this summer to see what they do. Um, one interesting trade proposal uh, our friend Luke Charter proposed to me was Thomas Hurdle for John Tavares in some fashion. Okay. I, well, I would love that. <laughs> I immediately said, because he said, if I'm saying, if you're San Jose, what would you say to this deal? And I would immediately say, how much more is coming on top of it? But I forgot they just signed Thomas Hurdle to a massive deal that doesn't make sense for their team. 
Yeah, so you get out of it faster. So that was his thing is that Tavares will provide that same leadership. Obviously, a bit of a decrease on skill, but Tavares is up in two seasons from now, I think. Hurdle yeah. has six more. And so from like tra- the, the leadership perspective, like if you want someone teaching William Eklund, you know, you, you couldn't do much worse than John Tavares, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I think it's seven. I think the first year of his deal was to this year uh, for Thomas Hurdle. But yeah, so, and then on the Toronto side of things, you're getting a guy who is $3 million cheaper uh, and two or three years younger. <laughs> And but you're taking $3 on million dollars better. Yeah, I was gonna say you're taking on the extra skill and then also, but the length of the contract is much longer. Yeah, Taurus is two years at eleven million dollars after this. So, like again, like that's a movable enough contract, but he has the full no move, and that's the yeah, thing, right? And he just both, had a kid. Both Hurdle and Tavares have full no move clauses that they signed on purpose. I I just can't see them waving it. Yeah, I mean, you could talk yourself into the hurdle side of the trade pretty easily. Yes, I yeah. Think, depending, we just always assume all NHL players care about is winning. Uh, we know that's not the case. Maybe he doesn't want to go to Toronto. I have no idea, but you can at least logic your way there. Yeah, um, but I don't know. <laughs> it's it's going to be an interesting offseason for the team. That's for sure. Um, and again, like at the end of the day, it's going to be a long offseason. If they and the media coverage and and the fan reaction will be quite interesting to watch. If they do run it back, they're still going to have the third best odds of the Stanley Cup next year. <laughs> yeah, they probably will, and probably not wrongfully so. Is the is the yeah. thing, right? Like, yep, so. yeah, it makes sense. It's yeah. I'm just not excited for a summer of everybody pretending like they know exactly what should happen on like the most uncertain situation we've ever seen. Yeah, that's very fair. I think what I keep kind of circling back to is, as we kind of mentioned, regardless of what your stance is on this, of which you can take one of many, if you are so confident where you're like, there's no way I am wrong about this, you are wrong. You are wrong, yeah. That's the thing. I just defended Marner for 10 minutes. I mean, I could totally get behind him in a trade. I just think some of the arguments to trading him are bad. Yeah, yes, right. I, and I completely agree. Like, I just argued for trading Marner for... 15 minutes. And at the end of all that, my caveat kept on being also, if you don't get a deal that you absolutely can defend with your heart and soul, don't do it. Don't it doesn't do make it, sense. Yeah. Yep. So, um, all right. I mean, we've touched on that series pretty well. Uh, before we move on, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 replaces key health products in one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine health products working together as one, placing your multivitamin, multiminerals, pre and probiotic, immunity support, and more. That means AG1 does more for your body and saves you time, money, and confusion compared to taking multiple unique products. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right, the other series that is over is the Golden Knights and Oilers. Ends in six. I felt so confident this series was going seven, uh, especially after the Oilers. So they let up a goal 20 seconds in last night. McDavid immediately answers, and then they score another one three minutes later. I thought that was for sure it. I go 2-1. I fall asleep in the first intermission, wake up to see a Jonathan Marshall so natural hat trick in the second period, and the Vegas Golden Knights called it a game and won 5-2. Um, disappointing to say the least. If you're Edmonton, obviously, oh, yeah. um, you very know, similar spot to Toronto. Even though Toronto's taking all the heat, they are lucky as fuck. Yep. Um, you know, obviously they had the conference final run last year, but they got swept in the conference finals. So, 
Um, you know, it's kind of hard to feel that way, but yeah, another disappointing year for Edmonton. And, and I think even more than Toronto, this has got to be a year if you're Edmonton where you go, oh man, like Colorado got eliminated for us in round one, you know, and, and credit to this golden Knights team. This is a good damn golden Knights team, but it's like Edmonton could have been looking at like, we could have played the Seattle Kraken possibly in round three. And like, again, we'll get to the Kraken. They deserve more love than they're getting. You were going to take if at any point this year, even as the playoffs were starting, you said, oh, yeah, and the team you play in round three is the crack and not the avalanche. Anyone would be dancing because of that. And rightfully so. Yeah, exactly. Kraken, smart team, bunch of smart people on it and everything. But, you know, this will not be the best iteration of the Seattle Kraken. <laughs> No, exactly. Um, and so, they know that I have to. Like, I don't. Think oh, yeah. Like, on the crack and they're like, oh, yeah, we're the third best team in the league right now, or whatever. They probably understand it. Well, you can tell by the expansion draft. They understand it's a long term. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that the biggest thing on this series, uh, the, A, Edmonton's goaltending dried up at the wrong. When you're putting in uh, Stuart Skinner or, um, Jack Campbell for the third period of a must-win game as his first action in the series. You've probably got some uh, trouble. Yep. But, yeah, like Stuart Skinner just kind of imploded at the wrong time, unfortunately. Three or four goals on 17 shots last night. Um, He had given up four on 22 the night before. Like, the Oilers outplayed the Golden Knights in a lot of these games. Oh, yeah. Um, Do you know who has the... Highest shooting percentage and third highest save percentage in the playoffs. Well, considering Aiden Hill put up like a 930 over parts of this series, I'm going to assume it's got to be Vegas. Yeah, that was just that evens. But yeah, Vegas is uh, Vegas on a bit of a PDO vendor. I yeah, mean, they're still, did, they're a very when, good team. When you give well, yourself the well, talent to have like a Jonathan March so on your third line, yep. you do make yourself, you know, available for those PDO vendors sometimes. Yep, they're the the reverse leafs, right? When you have that much shooting talent on your on your third line, you're inviting variance the uh, the other way. And and that exact same thing can go to the Kraken as well, you know. Yep. Where, um, yeah, but with the Golden Knights, and like I think some of it too is if you just look again, shot totals maybe doesn't do the game justice in terms of like how early the Golden Knights got on the board in some of those games and just had to coast from like a two nothing lead all the way down. Um. Yeah. So I would assume score effects probably played a little bit of a role in some of those games. But um, at the same time, like in game five, the uh, the Oilers were up 2-1 going into the uh, intermission as well. And um, I think a big talking point is, you know, you mentioned the five-on-five numbers. Again, the Oilers' power play, it was a juggernaut through the playoffs, and it still wasn't enough to get them in round three. Like they in, yeah. they just – they're and I, I don't know what the answer is with this Oilers team. Cause I, I thought they had a fine deadline. Like, again, I love the echo and pick up and I think that'll be good going forward, but like, they're still not good enough at five on five. Well, so that's the problem with this Oilers team is the, the Kraken. We said that there will be better Kraken teams. Um, If, if they do win the cup, we're going to have to like retroactively pretend that that team was better, but this was probably quite well, maybe not probably. There's a an all right chance is the best Oilers team that has the Connor McDavid on it. Only way it's not is like if they can find 
Like they they almost need to find a star to play on their third line, which is just crazy that we're saying. And like again, I I think this team was fine, okay built, but like there was still just at times this year where it's like, yeah, you should be wanting McDavid in playoff games to be playing twenty nine minutes a night. He probably shouldn't be playing twenty eight minutes a night in games forty nine of the regular season. Regular season, yeah. They need and like like a Jake Gensel would just yeah. be. Well, and like McDavid, there's no obvious way to get that. McDavid and Dreisaitl were doing that in random games in the regular season to get them to seventh in Corsi four. And like, I think they were pretty high in expected and sixth in expected goals in the league at five on five. It's like, okay, like, great. Yeah. But now, hey, while well, they had the best power play of all time, like, literally, the Oilers are going to have a good power play for a long time, but. You know, it's that's not a smart thing to bet on repeating itself because that's just how numbers work. Yeah, even if you just say of a down year where it's still because what was it, thirty two percent or something, saying like that this <laughs> yeah. year. Even if it's twenty eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So twenty eight. You know, down year where it's like twenty five or whatever, which is still very. Oh no, very I good. think it was a thirty something. I mean, like if the down year. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You're losing like what ten goals there probably like. Which is a number of wins. So, yeah, and like, uh, yeah, I, and Drysaddle aren't going to be getting better with age at this point. They're either locked in or getting worse, probably. Yeah, and especially like I'm really curious to watch a guy like McDavid age because so much of his game is how quick he is. Where it's like, I he is so skilled. Yeah, it will because he is so skilled. I could see him. You know, Crosby didn't change his game a ton, but Crosby became even a more ferocious forechecker as he aged, which made him even more impactful. It's not like he was a bad forechecker or anything when he was 22 years old, but Crosby went from just not pure skill, but like a good mix of skill with, you know, the hardworking stuff to like, no, this dude's the, just the hardest working guy in the league. Oh, and he still has great skill to keep it. And that's why he's playing point per game hockey at 35 years old or whatever he is now. Right. Yeah, I kind of wonder what that evolution looks like for Connor McDavid, and it doesn't have to be the exact same thing. But like, well, for what it's worth, Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby's last year, where he was definitively the best player on earth, was his age twenty six season. Guess what, Connor McDavid just finished. Yeah, twenty six. Like twenty six, and then these guys the are young. The next. Five years of Crosby's career pre-McDavid truly being a god. Four years, whatever it was, before McDavid was. The reason Crosby was the best was that it was a rotating cast of people around with him at that point, not him being straight up better than everyone else every year. Yeah. That's like, you know, if it can happen to Sidney Crosby, it can happen to anyone. Yeah, man. Yeah. And again, I'm not... I don't, and you're not either predicting he's going to fall off a cliff or anything next year. Yeah. But like, well, Sidney Crosby's still a hundred point player multiple times after that and all that. He's still yeah. fucking awesome. But, you know, and if, if McDavid isn't the best player in the league, <laughs> Oilers are in trouble because even though they'd look way better this year. Exactly. Heck. And like, and even if he is, say, the head and tails, the best player in the league at the end of this contract in three years, the Oilers still need a little more to get themselves over the hump. Yep. You know? Yeah, and, they need more. And, if anything, I just don't see where that's coming with Zach Hyman, 30 RNH is 30, um, you know, and the grant like RNH at $5 million, an absolute steal. Um, even if he overperformed probably this year, but like, <laughs> yeah, still like that's third line money for some teams. And he he's, has a 30 point fall off. Still yeah. With that contract. Evander Kane's 31 though. Like, 
Yamamoto even is 24, and he's what I would think of as young on this team. Um, yeah, back home, their big addition is 32. So they're going to need someone in their minor league system to kind of, whether that's, um, um, they're going to need um, like some depth from their minor league system. Yeah. And now one legitimate hope is, I think there are still worlds in which we say, Hey, Evan Bouchard is like the fourth best defenseman in the league. Mm -hmm. That's your star that you might be able to get. Yeah. That's very true um, on the defensive side. And that would be a, very, very big thing because this defense core, you know, as much as I love Ekholm, it's still not great. And like, yeah, I love Brett Kulak as a third pair defender. He's made it pretty obvious that when he needs to do much more than that, at least with the partners that he's been used with in Edmonton, he can't. Yeah, he's you a know. third pair defender, which is yeah. useful, but not amazing. But like Cody's and like you just you can't have Cody CC and Darnell Nurse taking your shutdown matchups like they got absolutely eaten alive this series against Vegas. Like they were the primary. Let me like to tweet earlier today. Hold on. Let me see where it is. Uh, it was Travis Yost. Um, was that the Stone tweeted, Marsh or so on? Yeah. Stone Marsh or so, yeah. uh, or sorry, Marsh or so and Eichel on the ice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Vegas had 10 goals and Edmonton had two. Uh, Marsh so Eichel off the ice. They had Vegas had eight and uh, Edmonton had seven. And CC slash Nurse were taking that March so Eichel line and just got eaten. Which is the expected outcome when the, that's the lineup. Yeah. And it was Edmonton's middle six I got, you know, just ran over as well. And, you know, I, I saw people rightfully pointing out too. And, and again, like, I don't think Edmonton needs to fire their coach or anything. I think generally speaking, Woodcroft did a, a fine job. But, like, you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Why are you starting your third line in a must-win game six period one? which gets scored on 22 seconds into the game. Yeah, it's a tough start. You know, and same with just like, if there's a time to put McDavid and Dreisaitl together, especially with how disgusting it has been all year, it's probably before 10 minutes left of the must-win game six that you have. Yeah. When your middle six is just getting ran over all series like we've been yeah, getting ran through. So, I don't know. It's, I... I, I like they're going to be a good team. And again, like, I don't think there's any obvious like dynasties forming in the West right now or anything. So like, you know, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, McDavid and Dreisaitl are already 26 and 27, even just before you factor in that Dreisaitl next summer will be eligible for an extension. How many more kicks of the can do you just naturally are going to have at this? And you, you got to stop wasting, not wasting. Like this wasn't a waste or anything like that. They went to game six against a good team, but like you got to yeah. keep using these to the best of your ability. Yeah. Yeah. Like this was, you know, fair outcome. It's disappointing because they had such a good shot, but like, you know, these things will happen. It's not like this was a damning indictment of anything. It's just, yeah, they lost and <laughs> they're going to want to win a cup someday, but. It gets harder and harder from here, probably. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Derek Ryan, Matthias Yanmark, Devin Shore, Nick Bukestead are all UFAs. Clem Costin, Ryan McLeod are RFAs up front. A lot of just kind of replaceable depth, I would say, there. Um, on the back end, Darnell Nurse, like that contract at 9.25, man. 
Uh, Cody CC at 3.25, Eckholm's at 6, and Brett Kulak's at 2.75. Bouchard is their RFA. That'll be, I don't think they're going to have too much issue getting him under lock, but I do wonder what that contract looks like. If I'm the team, I want to go long-term. If I'm Bouchard, I wouldn't blame him for not. Um, I wouldn't have, yeah, I'd keep it short if I was Bouchard. And like you said, the team, he's their one player who might be like, not only might he be a superstar and currently isn't, you could maybe underpay the hell out of him too. Yeah, um, I kind of wonder what. Oh, like I think if you get him long term, and he, I say, if they do sign him long term, and he breaks out to even like partially what we think he is, they he will be underpaid. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Like that could be your, you know, Matthias Eckholm, Brian uh, Atlas style contract if if he does break out. Yeah, absolutely. Early Matthias Eckholm. I I wonder what. Like a Cody CC trade looks like. I don't know if they'd be willing to do it or not. Um, I'm just trying to think of like where the cap space comes to try and upgrade this team. Cody CC and Jack Campbell are the two names that kind of stick out to me. But like Jack Campbell, you're going to have to pay a pretty price to get four more years at $5 million off the books. And he has a modified 10 team, no trade clause. Yeah. That's so, a tough contract. Move. Yeah. Like I just. I don't really see even a team like Arizona or Chicago taking that on because it it's just too much in length. I think the smartest thing to do is just hope it was a down year with Campbell. I would agree. And and to be fair, like I don't think it that's probably the worst. was. Yeah, especially like considering you don't need him to be your number one A starter, you're still <laughs> thinking Stuart Skinner's gonna be that, even if he yeah. did struggle um in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like it's fun to dunk on the fact that the Oilers keep signing failed Leafs and then they fail there too and everything. But like nobody saw Jack Campbell be like this coming. He will be better next year. Yeah, like he couldn't save a like a beach ball this year. It was brutal. Yeah. So yeah, you almost one of the worst just... goalies in the entire league. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that bad. But yeah, I think this will be a very similar to like obviously the whole top six will be coming back. I think most of the defense core will be coming back, maybe. Aside from, I could see them trying to look, maybe look to move on from Brett Kulak just because 2.75 on your third pair as a team that's a little cash strapped is maybe a little more than you want to be paying, especially if you think like a Philip Broberg could do what Kulak does. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think they'll, yeah, exactly. I think they'll be bringing back most of the same decor, probably both of the same goalies. And then it'll be about shuffling the, the bottom six around to see if you can find a bit more of a, a winning combination. Yeah. So, yeah, it was fun to watch them try at least. Yeah. Um and like again, like they 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 were a top three cup odd team after round one for a good reason. And even heading into the playoffs, I think they were favorites to come out of the West with how injured the Avalanche were. And like that yeah, wasn't incredibly unreasonable. No, I think it was totally fair. Yeah. So um game seven tonight, Dallas, uh, Seattle. I gotta be honest. This is for a game seven. I have never seen a series go seven where I've just felt so confident Dallas is like a team's winning. And I don't know if that's just because like Dallas has been a game ahead, I think, since game three now. And they just like, but like even game six, like I just kind of woke up and oh wow, Seattle won. Interesting. I think said Dallas are coming home. Like, but it's game seven. Anything can happen. I'm pretty excited for this. Yeah, it should be a good game. Um, The. One thing that I would not have guessed is, you know, Ottinger looking very human 
Um, the Kraken have gotten to him a couple times this series. Yeah. Like he's put up or he's let up like three plus in almost every game, which is not what I would have expected. No, Um, that's you would think would be like one of the bright spots of the Dallas stars, not something that might sewer them. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's what like, it's so funny about the goaltending is even in round two, you go, how many goalies did you really trust in round two? And like, for most people, Ottinger would have been the only name and even him, he wasn't playing well. And We've had like a year and a half of experience with him. Yeah. But like, yeah, like I don't trust Bobrovsky. I didn't, nope. you know, I, Sam Slav was fine, but I would, wouldn't have any like full trust in him. Yeah. Um, same or with, I say, or wall, same with any of Carolina's three goalies. They all have their own issues. Um, There's a reason there's three of them. Yep, we saw what happened in New Jersey. They went back and forth and couldn't get a save. Um, Seattle, they've the, all we've known since Seattle's been a team is how bad their goaltending's been. And yeah. then Ed, Edmonton, submarine by it. And Vegas is on their, their fifth string goalie right now. <laughs> if you if Count Robin Leonard is a a guy still on their depth chart technically, but like fourth string, like it's just crazy. Yeah. So it's hilarious. Um, I don't know. I'll lean stars, but it's a game seven and Seattle. You got to give them credit, man. Like, it's not like they have just been clinging on for dear life in this series. When they win, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they believe them. Yeah. So, like, 7 2, a 6 3 win that wasn't particularly close. Like, they've been, it's been a bad, it's weird because of how back and forth the series has been. The games haven't been like close at all. Yeah. It's been kind of the story of the surrounding. It is. And like, I thought it tightened up a little bit at the end of the round. Like, the Hurricanes Devils obviously was 3 2, the final game. Golden Knights Oilers had a couple, even the, the game six last night, like the 5 2 looks like a wide score line, but there was an empty netter in there, right? 4 2 heading into the third with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same team. Like, you can't count Edmonton out of that. Um, yeah. So at least those were a little closer. But yeah, like this series, 6 3 Seattle, 5 2 Dallas, 6 uh, 3 Dallas, 7 2 Seattle. Um, four two Dallas. That one was pretty close, and then five four in overtime from Seattle. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I would think, I think, hmm, obviously, if Seattle makes it on, I think Vegas will be favored pretty or aggressively, aggressively. enough, yeah, like 65 35, kind of. Yep, yeah, um, playoff aggressive, yeah, or Dallas. I could see Dallas being close to 50-50. Probably 50-50. I think I'd, I'd go Vegas in that sense. I had Vegas come to the combine. was like the only good pick I've had so far. So <laughs> I had Dallas. I was right with that. So, yeah, one yeah. of us might be right. Yep, exactly. But, um, no, we will uh, preview both those series on uh, Thursday when we actually know the uh, the official matchup for the West as well. Um, so we'll be back at you then. Chase, you have anything else you wanted to add? Not so. Overall, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, compared to the first round, I think the the second round fell a little flat. But again, like I thought, it picked up near the end, and it just kind of it looks a lot worse on paper too. Like I thought that Toronto game was it was five close games, but it just sucked that it ended in five. We didn't get two more of them. Yeah, exactly. But, so, all right. Um, well, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sense and Stuff. Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey sixty six. 
all of his work on his Substack, which you can find through his Twitter uh, and also the actionnetwork.com. And you can also find my work at last word on hockey or last word on sports.com last word on hockey.com. Uh, I did write a Leafs Panthers recap for the series and probably do another analysis piece uh, coming up on, on the playoffs as well. Just haven't decided on what yet. So keep tuned for that. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week.